and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on September 17th, 2014. The theme of the evening was schooled. My co-host on the show, he's also the producer of our podcast. We have a narrator's podcast on iTunes. Each episode is like 20 minutes long, so it's super, super consumable. Um, he also produces a, uh, a podcast with me and our friend Talitha called The Unicorn, where we talk uh, with comedians about sex and relationships, but pretty much just sex. And that's also on iTunes, if you want to check that out. Please welcome Ron Doyle. Hi, everybody. All right, it's 2005, and my brother and sister-in-law are living in this cute little adobe house in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they decide that they want a pet. But their lease didn't allow pets, so they needed to find something small enough that their landlord would approve it. And my brother and wife, they love staying up late and playing video games and watching anime. And one night, they started watching this show called Samurai Champloo. Oh, all right. Yeah, and one of the main characters is this young woman who has a pet sugar glider. And it's this, it's this cute little adorable little chump chip monkey kind of thing. And it, and it can catch air like a parachute and glide gracefully to the ground. And most of the time it just sleeps uh, in, the, in the pocket of her kimono. And it really only comes out to do things that are really cute or to, you know, to rescue her when she's about to be molested. It's the perfect pet. So my brother calls his landlord and asks, would it be okay if we had a sugar glider? And, and the, the landlord says, what, what, what is that? Is that like a flying squirrel? Is that a rodent? And he's like, no, 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 no. It's a marsupial. It's from Australia. It lives in a tiny little cage. It's little and it sleeps all day. It'll be totally fine. And the landlord goes, all right, fine. I don't really know what that is, but sure, if you, if you want, you can have a sugar glider. Now, sugar gliders are an exotic pet and you can't buy them in regular pet stores here in the United States. Uh, you can only buy them at licensed breeders. And one of those breeders happens to live here in Denver. So my brother calls me up and asks if they can come for a visit. My brother is five years younger than me. And we spent a lot of time together when we were little, but I skipped two grades in elementary school, which made the social gap between us just really huge. And I left for college before he even started middle school. And because we lived in this small town where everyone knew me, my brother spent his entire childhood not knowing me, but living in this huge shadow of my reputation. And in the years while I was passed out somewhere on a couch in Boulder, my brother had become this really interesting man. He was like part radio DJ, part chemist, part like ceramics artist. So I was super excited for this chance to reconnect and get to know him again. I have decided that I will not reveal the name of the suburb of Denver that we visited that day because I don't remember the name of the suburb that we visited that day. But I do remember the moment when we that sweet little old woman opened the door and let us in. The house inside out, it was, it was totally stuck in the 70s, but it was spotless inside, and we were ushered through the entryway into this formal living room. And there were only two pieces of furniture in the living room, on a tiny love seat against the far wall, 
And in the center of the room facing the love seat was this oversized chair filled with this oversized man. This is Larry. I'm not exaggerating. Larry is huge. You can smell how big he is when you walk into the room. He is clearly the man in charge here. His wife, who he introduces as Annette, stands obediently at the corner of his chair, and we all cram into the love seat, make a little small talk, and then Larry gets down to business. See, when my brother and wife asked me to come along, I imagine this visit was going to be like, you know, picking newborn puppies out of a wooden crate. It was going to be this whole afternoon full of squeaks and awes and little newborn sugar gliders nibbling on each other's ears. But apparently Larry takes his role as a USDA licensed exotic animal breeder very seriously, and this is not pet shopping, this is an interview. <laughs> a battle of the wits. And if, there, if I were anything else other than an outside observer, at this point, I would have made a big duh sound and excused myself out the bathroom window. But my brother and sister-in-law, they were totally on point. They were ready for this. I might be the sibling who graduated from high school at 15, but my brother didn't wither in my shadow. He grew above it. At this point, he was only barely 21 years old, and he's already smarter and more successful in life than I could ever dream to be. And my sister, she's just as fiercely intelligent as he is, and, they, and she really wants a pet that she can keep in her purse. So <laughs> this was going to happen. So when Larry asked if they had read his blog, she takes the lead, and the three of them dive into this intensely nerdy conversation about the different schools of thought on the world of sugar glider care. And I kind of, yeah, at this point, I kind of tune out of the conversation. And at this point, I start looking around the house, and I notice for the first time the cages. Off to the side of where we're sitting, there's this huge room. It's one of those like 70s-era sunken dens, uh, and there are 10 to 15 cages lined in two rows. And every single cage is absolutely silent. And they look empty, except for in every single cage hanging from the center was this, this like quilted bag. It looked like some sort of cocoon knit by somebody's grandmother. And the whole thing reminded me of like the human battery farm in The Matrix, or, or the abandoned prison in The Walking Dead. And it freaked me the fuck out. But everything is going well with Larry, and he seems super pleased, so he smiles and he asks, he says, why do you uh, feel that you would like to have a sugar glider? And my, my sister-in-law, she explained, she told the story about the landlord being confused about what a marsupial even was in the first place, and he thought that was totally hilarious, but then she made a critical error. She reveals that they originally got the idea from a cartoon. And Larry's face turns red, how many teeth do you think a sugar glider has? And <laughs> my sister-in-law kind of stumbles on her words. Um, four? Eight? Uh, four, two, eight? Wrong! Uh, 32 teeth! The front incisors are razor-sharp and designed to rip bark from trees while hunting crickets and grubs. The teeth are angled inward so they, its prey can't pull away. What do you think a sugar glider's teeth can do to a human finger? I'm like, whoa! <laughs> whoa! I look over at my sister-in-law and she's completely frozen in what can best be described as a beaker from uh, the Muppets face. <laughs> And so my brother tries to jump in and help out by rattling off a little bit of trivia about dietary habits in the wild, but before he finishes, Larry puts his hand up. 
He says, these sugar gliders live in captivity with humans. Sugar gliders are omnivores. Other than their love of crickets, they eat what we eat and they like what we like. Do you like corn? (laughs) And before anyone can answer, Larry answers for us, of course you do. Everybody likes corn. Sugar gliders like corn. Yellow corn, white corn, blue corn, Indian corn, popcorn. Do you like squash? Of course you do. Acorn, butternut, spaghetti, zucchini, summer squash, delicata. And it's about this point that Annette leaves her post by Larry's side and wanders off into the kitchen. And that's how I know we're all going to be here for a long time. Now, I know what I said about reconnecting with my brother and how I still worry about what it was like for him growing up in my shadow, but really, come on, he's a big boy and he's a smug know-it-all just like me. So I felt sorry for my sister-in-law, but I never had the chance to watch my own sibling get an intellectual smackdown like this before, and it was so much more awesome than I ever could have imagined. Larry keeps going on like Jabba the Hutt reading the inventory of a farmer's market, and he rattles off the names of heirloom tomatoes and varieties of melons that I never knew existed. His forehead is completely drenched in sweat, and after almost 20 solid minutes, he finally slumps back in his chair with this satisfied sigh. All right, good. Understood? Any questions? Good. Annette? Bring me Goliath. Annette darts out of the kitchen behind Larry's chair and into the room of the silent cages. She opens the door to the nearest cage, reaches for the quilted cocoon hanging inside, and the moment when her hand touches the cloth bag, I hear this. What the fuck? Now, I need you to pay close attention for your own safety. To get the sugar glider out, you're going to have to put your hand in its, own, in its nest, which perceives as it perceives as a threat. You remember those teeth? Good. Keep your hand, fingers close together and move quickly. And Larry shoves his hand in the bag and smashes the animal against, his insi- against the inside of his stomach. There, see? You can't hurt him. They're very flexible. Keep applying a pressure until it has a chance to wake up and recognize your smell. And he waits a few seconds, and slowly, like he's delivering a baby, Larry pulls Goliath out into the light. I didn't really believe that it would look like the cartoon, but what I saw in Larry's hand looked nothing like the cartoon. This thing was so hideous. It had these bloated, black, glassy eyes and weird black gray stripes down its back. If no one had told me what I was looking at, I would have assumed that Larry had just performed a late-term abortion on a badger. (laughs) And Larry looks down at his beloved little badger fetus, and he strokes its back. Goliath here is the world's largest sugar glider held in captivity. He's been with me for a long time. He's my favorite. He's my boy. And this is when Goliath decides to bite the ever-loving shit out of Larry's hand, and we learn that Larry is taking blood thinners for high cholesterol. Uh, no, don't worry, because uh, Annette, she reacted exactly like this happens all the time. She pulled a tissue out of her pocket, and Larry promptly soaked it with blood, and then he looked over at my sister Allah and says, all right, well, uh, now it's your turn. 
and he instructs Annette to go bring one of the young ones over. And now one of these killer marsupials is sitting in a cloth bag in her lap right next to me, literally inches away from my face. I don't know if I had some sort of a panic attack or I blacked out, but things get a little hazy from me from here. I do know, though, by the time we got out of that nightmare freak zoo, my brother and sister-in-law, as if they were paying their own ransom, had purchased not one but two sugar gliders because they get aggressive if they're lonely. And nine years later, my brother and sister-in-law still have these sugar gliders because they live for 15 years. Yeah, great. And the bonding thing sort of happened, and they, you know, they all had a few laughs in college. But now my brother and sister-in-law, they both have day jobs, which don't jive well with a nocturnal pet. So every evening, I put a tray of food into the cage. And every morning, they come and they take an empty tray back out. And my brother calls it his pet cage. And he fucking hates it. But I can assure you, he knows exactly what it likes to eat. Thanks. That was Ron Doyle. Your next storyteller is a, uh, a legendary comedian in Denver. I've known him uh, my entire comedy career. He's also... A, uh, a veterinarian, and I remember uh, there was one night, this is a, a few years ago, I was doing comedy in a club, and he just happened to drop by and watch, and all of us comics were just hanging on the green room, and he's like, hey, you want to see something cool? And we're like, yeah, I want to I see something cool. And he's like, come out to my car. So I follow him out to his car, he pops the trunk, and he has a turtle this big <laughs> in the trunk of his fucking car <laughs> that they found, I guess that, it, that somebody had found it and had a fish hook stuck in his mouth. So he'd like saved it, got the fish out of his mouth, and was gonna go return it to its swamp, just in the trunk, just in the trunk of his car. It was great. That's just the kind of cool, cool stuff you can uh, expect from him. Please welcome Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. Well, let me look at you. Out on a school night. Close your eyes. I know I look like Gandalf, but I sound like Tommy Chong. <laughs> Tonight, the, the lecture is a moment of science. And, and uh, you know, I think that being schooled, right? That's what was the theme tonight, schooled. And <clears throat> you're young and, and I'm old and I, I, I got schooled, that's for sure. I, I got a master's and a PhD when I didn't get into vet school. Taught for a while, went back to vet school, got a, got a veterinary degree, and then got a, a third doctorate in, in uh, endangered species. So, so uh, I've published a lot, but we learn every day. That, that's what the, the real thing is. You learn every day, and we think we know so much, but we really don't. And there, there's 10 million other forms of life on the planet besides us, you know, and, and uh, they're waiting for us, you know. I mean, people are given this wonderful intellect. You know, and this wonderful biodiversity and the rest of the planet, the, the other animals are waiting for us to use it, finally. And, and so, uh, the, the, the story tonight is, is uh, Margaret Mead's major professor. They found these, these Stone Age people in the 1930s in the Amazon tributaries called the Po. And they, they lived naked. <clears throat> they lived with no clothes on, except when they went to bathe. They put on these giant bloomers these orange bloomers, giant, huge. And they couldn't figure it out. And they wrote all these things about it culturally and, and what it meant to their society to not be seen wet and naked, you know. 
which is good for me always. <laughs> but they didn't understand why they did it. <clears throat> but what really was happening was somebody else lived in the water with them. And somebody else was the Kandaro catfish, the world's smallest parasite with a backbone, that tiny toothpick catfish that swims toward streams of urine into the urethra, puts its fins out and anchors itself, eats into the urethra, and then passes its eggs in the urine. So actually, the people were great biologists. <laughs> and, they, and they didn't need Margaret Mead to tell them what the hell was going on. You're like, you know, you get something in your dingus if you swim in there without that. I like to say dingus. <laughs> but we learn, we get schooled. We think we know so much. We don't, don't know very much. So you got to learn something every day. You got to learn something every day. I, I uh, started off in graduate school and my major professor bought me, we went to Seattle and he bought me an octopus. And my thesis was going to be, I was going to teach the octopus how to pull a, a lever. Right? He's got eight arms, ought to be able to do it. Right? <clears throat> and what the octopus eats is it eats crabs. Right? And remember, the octopus is a monostome, one opening, mouth and anus. You know, like Republicans. And, 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 and so... <laughs> and, 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 and so what they do is they grab, they grab the, the octopus grabs the, 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 uh, the, the crab and pulls him up and drops him. Pulls him up and drops him until he lands upside down. And then the octopus has a beak inside that bottom that pumps out, okay, and punctures the octopus and sucks all the guts out. And that's how they eat. So I worked for nine months trying to get the thing to different lights and sounds and different things to get it to pull the lever so a crab would fall down. I think one time in nine months maybe bumped it by accident, you know. But every morning we, we had the octopus in this saltwater tank and on the other side of the room we had the crabs. And every morning, or about every other morning when I came in, one of the crabs was torn to pieces that we were feeding them. And I, I told my, my, my boss, I, you know, the crabs are fighting. He goes, now nah, you got an octopus in the sand there. So he sifted the sand, no octopus, couldn't figure it out. Well, I had a date and went out and uh, went to a movie. But I left the keys to the lab in my pocket and my buddy was going to open up the lab early. And we had this special place where we hid the key and I had to get back. And I thought, oh yeah, man, I left something in there. So I went in the lab in the middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning, pitch black, turned the light on, and there's the octopus in the middle of the floor. And he's going across the floor, and he's come from his cage down the wall. Remember, they can get caught in the tidal pools, right? And, and then they can go back to the ocean and stay out of the water for a while. And he goes, and he goes up the wall, up the cage, into the crab cage, <laughs> grabs one, Bam, punctures it, eats it, comes back, he knows he's going to get fed the next day. And I'm trying to think, are you smart enough to pull a lever? Right? <laughs> we can learn a lot from the animals. And, and the animals are talking to us and hopefully, hopefully we're listening. So right now we got to do the pledge. Raise your right hand. I... Your name? <laughs> Who said your name? <laughs> Promise to be good to animals? All right, good night, little hipsters. <laughs>
That was Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.